Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. On today's show, I have Paul Rocchio, Vice President of Development and Member Services at the International Franchise Association. Paul, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, Frank. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for this opportunity, my friend. I know we've been trying to do this. I wish I was in. I wish I, I wish I was down in Tampa in person with you. But you know, maybe we could do that some other time. But uh, thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate it. Oh, Paul, it, it is my pleasure to have you on. So you know, I've been a a huge fan of the IFA. I I feel just a, a debt of gratitude to the organization because. You guys helped me get started when I was launching my brand. I knew nothing about franchising. And yes, I did hire a franchise consulting firm. I hired the iFranchise group and Mark and the guys oh, yeah, did a yeah. great job. Yep. But still, when you're a, when you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know. And to be able to rub elbows with with folks that are been involved in the industry and the generosity of the industry, which I know we're going to talk about, um, yes. on how generous the even direct competitors are so much to cover. I'm curious though. I never, never found out from you. Like, how did you get involved in franchising? I don't know the genesis I, of how I, you got here. Listen, I, I love that question. Cause I ask that of everybody all the time, right? We all, everybody wonders how, how we all got involved in franchising. Everybody has a different story and a different path as to how they got involved. So for, for me, it was, I was bit by the political bug when I graduated from Northeastern undergrad, you know, with a BS in political science, literally a BS, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, was like, geez, I want to be kind of become a lobbyist, you know, and I found a program um, at the George Washington University, political management and um, graduate school political management, I should say. Okay. So I applied, got in, uh, moved to DC, you know, was in graduate school, and uh, started working on Capitol Hill briefly. And then kind of like with franchising, you know, somebody in my class was like, hey, uh, my wife works at the Chemical Manufacturers Association. They're always looking for people there. And I didn't really know much about the association world. Got involved, you know, at the Chemical Manufacturers Association. I was, my background, you know, when I came to DC was government relations and ended up doing state government relations and issues management. And then huge network of folks, just like within franchising, and then ended up moving over to what is now called the Retail Industry Leaders Association, which is really the association for Walmart, but all the other big box retailers okay. was doing state government relations work there and issues management as well. And while I was there, sat on a coalition with a number of other folks like myself at other trade associations. And... Uh, there was a woman uh, who was part of this group that we get together once a month and she used to head up state government relations for the IFA. And she was always talking about how she was spending all of her time in Iowa and, and the rest of us, we were like, well, what the heck are you doing in Iowa? And what is this franchise bill she was always talking about? 
And at the time I was like, you know, IFA franchising, what is it? McDonald's, you know? And, right. and then she courted me to move over to IFA. They were creating a new position, uh, a manager of grassroots and political education. And that was something that always interested me. So moved over to IFA at the time, Matt Shea was the VP of government relations. Don DeBolt was our CEO. Uh, so made the move over to IFA and was doing federal lobbying as well and kind of created and, and restarted, if you will, our lobby day, you know, our big fly-in where we bring members in uh, to bring them up on Capitol Hill and educate the members of Congress and the 22-year-old kids who are really running the country right? Um, about the benefits of the business format franchise model because, again, nobody really understands it, right? And they still don't, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and was doing that for my almost the first two years I was here, then got just totally fed up with with lobbying, but fell in love with franchising. And an opportunity came up for me to move over to the membership side. And, you know, within the association world, you know, you kind of, especially if you're a lobbyist, you kind of move every three and a half to to five years and you go where the hot issues are. I knew I, I would be totally changing my career path and didn't think I'd be, you know, hanging my hat here for, you know, nearly 25 years now, but again, just really fell in love with working with entrepreneurs, founders of brands, but it's also, you know, within our franchise or membership, it's so diverse because you've got these small startup brands like you were at one time with I-9, but then people, as they mature all the way up the ladder to what I refer to as as the legacy brands, um, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, so on and so forth. And and IFA was founded by Bill Rosenberg, the founder of Dunkin' Donuts. And he always used to say, and I had the pleasure of knowing him in my first three years of being here at IFA, he would tell the story at the convention how he and other founders were sitting around a table uh, up in Chicago, and he stood up and threw 100 bucks down on the table, and let's start this bleepity bleep, bleep <laughs> you know, association, and and here we are, you know, uh, nearly 60 years later. Listen, I wake up every day, I still love my job. I love what I do. I love working with our members. Uh, it's it's still challenging, but it's, uh, you know, the mission of IFA has never changed. We protect, enhance, and promote franchising day in and day out. And that is what we do for you, for all of our members, mm-hmm. so they could all continue to grow and thrive through, you know, this awesome business model that was created way back when called franchising, right? And, and it's a great way to for people to realize the American dream, uh, you know, as a franchisee, but also as a franchisor as well. And then even as a supplier, you know, we, you know, our members, you know, we all call it the franchise family, you know, for a reason. And not because we tend to spend more time with our franchise family than we do with our own family or friends, or at least me, you know, here in the (laughs) DC area. But there's always a ton of conferences, right? A ton of meetings, right? A ton of expos. And again, I'm, you know, I tend to be on the road a fair amount, but, um, but it's also a relationship business, right? Franchising is a relationship business. And even like you said earlier, when you entered into franchising, um, yes, you you utilized iFranchise Group to turn you into a franchise. But then, you know, all of a sudden you're a franchisor. You've got to comfortably start wearing that hat right. and realize that that's the business you're in now. You're in the franchise business. But that's why people get involved in IFA because they have to continue to grow and learn and understand what best practices are. And yes, there are competitors within the 300 verticals that franchise, but franchising is franchising. It's all the same generally. Mm-hmm. And yes, you have competitors, but even in the non-competitive verticals, 
you could still learn from your peers in those verticals because whether it's franchise development, franchise relations, franchise operations, it's all the same. And you're still going to learn from people who've been up the ladder before you. And there's no reason to recreate the wheel. I tell people all the time, every issue that has occurred in franchising has already occurred for the most part. And there are plenty of people out there who love to give back to people coming up the ladder behind them. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that founders, when they first franchise their concept, they don't really understand what their real day-to-day looks like, like what they really need to do as a founder. Because if you go to a franchise consulting firm and we get set up, and like I said, we use the iFranchise group and got the pretty brochures on selling franchises and had the franchise development yep. website and have all the operations manual binders stacked up on my bookshelf behind me, <laughs> all ready to start selling exactly. franchises and growing. But we really don't know what to do every single day. So uh, first of all, how many members are there of franchise brands are there in the IFA right now about? Right now we have about 1,200 franchise brands. We have about 600 supplier members and about 10,000 franchisees that fall under our our membership. Mm -hmm. And then we have within our franchise action network, which is our, you know, our grassroots lobbying, uh, you know, part of our government relations team, we have close to 100,000 you know, franchisees, but they just want to be informed, uh, you know, everything that we're doing on the legislative front. And those numbers really jumped during the pandemic because people were starved for information. Our government relations team really created um, the PPP funds. Um, that was something that, you know, Ron Feldman, you know, mm-hmm. who was, I, I know you mentioned Ron was, uh, was on your podcast. Ron was instrumental in, in helping create that and keeping it somewhat simplified, but you know, we basically explained to the the powers that be, you know, the the, the government here in in DC that if you basically give people money to protect jobs, it will end up costing overall. It'll end up costing the U.S. government less in the long run because people will not lose their jobs. And we wrote franchising into it, so it was really easy for franchisees and franchisors to receive PPP money, EIDL, and other things regarding the CARES Act. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was in direct response to, you know, our government relations team and some of our volunteer stellar leaders who helped kind of explain that issue and kind of crunch numbers. And and it paid off just stellar for all of our members and, sure. and kept them above water. They were able to, you know, basically hold on to their employees. And we helped get everybody through the pandemic. And again, that's the, you know, that's what we do day in and day out. We protect, you know, the interests of the franchising community at the federal, state, and regulatory side day in and day out. So you all can continue to grow and thrive through mm-hmm. the business format franchise model. You know, one of the, the things that I, I, I've heard about uh, as I talk to some of the franchise experts throughout the industry is the surprise of post-COVID. Nobody saw this coming where franchising was going to have like this new resurgence of growth. Nobody saw this coming. Why do you think there's been so much of a gravitational pull towards people wanting to own a franchise now versus before the COVID? You know, that is a, listen, that's an awesome question. And, and I'll just give you obviously my, my perspective on yeah. it. I mean, you know, I, I always tell people, I don't consider myself a franchise expert, but I, I've got all this useless knowledge up here about <laughs> franchising. And people always say, God, that was very helpful. But from my, from my vantage point, Frank, it just seems to me that a lot of people either decided that during COVID they were either working from home or they didn't have to do that long commute anymore. And 
they're like, you know, gosh, I should really, you know, kind of be my own boss. I should own my own business or people, you know, they've always thought about doing it, but because of COVID, I think it really kind of helped people really kind of take that leap. Whereas in the past, they may have kind of held back a little bit. And I think that's where we've seen a huge uptick. And I've heard this at just about every meeting I've been to this fall, that it's a lot more expensive to get access to money, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that is starting to kind of cause some issues out there, especially for uh, that first time potential franchisee. The unique thing about franchising is, and even during the great recession of the mid to late 2000s, um, where as an association, we were always keeping our head about 2% above where my peers at other associations that are reliant on just one industry. Mm -hmm. And it could just be the restaurant industry or the hotel industry or the retail industry. But, you know, of course, you know, we have people in those verticals that happen to franchise, but where we even see growth even today is with that multi-unit franchisee or even that stellar franchisee who's looking to diversify and either add additional units under their existing brand. But now there's that new term that came up in the past year, at least for me, mumbo, multi-unit, multi-branded operator, right? Mm -hmm. And these folks have a great relationship with their banks and, and they're able to get access to capital and expand and grow. So I think even right now, Though I've been hearing from my friend dev friends that it's taking a lot longer to close on some deals with people in their pipeline because it costs more to to, to get that access to money, right? Right, you get them across and the finish line. It, exactly, but there's there's still ongoing growth within those folks that are already existing franchisees. Again, wanting to expand, you know, into either other markets, whether whether it's going from food to, to non-food, you know, mm. and, and I'm starting to see a lot of that now because of, you know, various issues, whether it's in California with the FAST Act or just, you know, NLRB and other things. But no matter what, in, at least in my tenure, even though things might slow down a little bit, um, there is always still continued growth, whether it's on the fran dev side or with people entering into franchising as franchisees or even people wanting to franchise their business as well. And that's always ongoing. I kind of feel like we're in this new golden age. We're going to look back and say this period of time was a golden age in franchising again. Uh, at the yes. same time, I also, you know, I believe in the phrase, nothing is ever as good as it seems and nothing is ever as bad as it seems. So let's talk about, Amen. let's talk about the flip side of this potential. We're in this golden age that our model is also potentially being threatened. So hundred percent. Yeah. And, so what are your thoughts and, on, and, and we should expand what, what exactly do I mean by the threat of our model? Exactly. And, and listen, excellent, excellent question. And I will say when I came on board here at IFA, we had like, like less than a thousand people attending our annual convention. We had less than a thousand franchisor members and you know, really from late 1999, almost continuously up through the the Great Recession, really, franchising just jumped. We, you know, we reached a thousand plus members. We had well over a thousand people attending. Every year, the numbers kept going up mm -hmm. across the board every year. Mm -hmm. Even to this day, that they keep going up. But one thing that we noticed in our board, you know, we are, you know, I, I always like to say we're the stewards of the organization. IFA belongs to its dues paying members. We are a nonprofit 
a trade association where uh, without getting into too much detail, but you know, we're a, a 501c6 because we are lobbying, you know, lobby shop, but but we also have a 501c3 component, which is the IFA foundation, but we are a nonprofit organization. But the business model has been under more of a direct threat in the past 10 years than it has, you know, in the past 60 years. And really that's because again, the lawmakers, right? You know, whether it's federal, state, or regulatory side, people don't understand franchising. They don't understand that franchisees are owner operators. They are responsible for hiring and firing people to the extent, you know, you know setting wages for their employees. They are running that business. And, you know, it's funny because just this past weekend was shop local businesses. And, you know, that's all sponsored by American Express, right? right. We've been trying for years to get them to recognize that franchisees are small business people, that they are local to the community. Totally. And, and they just, you know, unfortunately that they don't recognize that. And it's unfortunate because we all know that the majority of franchisees out there are mom and pops mm -hmm. and they, they live in the community. They sponsor sponsor the little league teams, their kids go to school with my kids with their, you know, they are mm -hmm. part of that local community across the country. And at the end of the day, so many folks in franchising who have entered into franchising, you know, they've all worked in corporate America, let's say, or, or, you know, they're coming out of, you know, serving our country. And, 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 you know, of course we have our vet friend program and our members uh, you know, provide benefits to qualified veterans to enter into franchising, whether it's reducing the franchise fee or not including the franchise fee at all for qualified veterans. But it's a great way, again, to get people involved into owning their own business, being their own bosses. But again, you're going into business for yourself, but not by yourself. That's the power of the franchise model. You've got not only the support of the franchisor and the proven system that they've created, but you have the support of all the other franchisees in the system. And you're not going it alone. Yeah, you could open up your own pizza shop. Chances are you may or may not be as successful if had you in, in, invested in, in a franchise concept. Mm -hmm. And again, it's because you, you're investing in a, in a proven system. That founder, they did all the, the homework and, and they had the ups and downs with the, you know, with the success or the failures, what worked, what didn't work. And then they fine tuned it and decided, you know, to grow and expand using someone else's capital. And that's why they enter into franchising. Yes, as a franchisor, you, you still control, you know, the secret sauce, you control the, the brand and the franchisee has to follow the, the rules. Right. But at the end of the day, that franchisee is, is the owner operator of that business for as long as the agreement, you know, whether it's, you know, 10 years, let's say. But at the end of the day, Really, from my vantage point, from what I've seen, is you've got the unions, primarily the SEIU, the Service Employees Union, mm -hmm. and they're smart. I mean, they have a heck of a lot more money than we do, but their coffers are starting to dwindle, and they are going after the gig economy, so Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, but the way they've crafted their message and the legislation that they've been able to get folks to introduce on their behalf pulls in the business format franchise model. And of course, they're going after kind of the low-hanging fruit, whether it's McDonald's, but their plans are to go after not just the restaurant segment, but all the other segments within franchising. So we have to stay, you know, three or four steps ahead. And obviously, if you look at California, and, you know, that's where they set their sights on first. And we were able to go in there. It, it could have been extremely costly after the FAST Act was introduced and 
signed, but we were able to collect enough signatures to get it to the prop, you know, that, you know, in California, they have the, you know, the proposition, you know, we're, we're basically would have been taken to the voters, but then we would have had to have spent millions of dollars basically running ads, promoting why people should or should not vote for, you know, whatever the prop would have been, you know, mm-hmm. you know prop, whatever. And, and there would have been no guarantee that we would have succeeded. At the end of the day, uh, you know, a lot of deals were made and we were able to get the joint employer piece removed from that. And again, the joint employer is everybody thinks that, you know, basically it would turn franchisees almost into middle managers because franchisors would be considered joint employers with their franchisees. And we know as a franchisor, you are not involved in anything having to do with HR related to your franchisees. It's up to your franchisee to find health insurance for them, their families, or even their employees. You know, it's up to them to provide various benefits for their employees. The franchisor has nothing to do with that. If joint employer were to pass, and and now the NLRB, they came out with their ruling. So we are encouraging everybody, if they haven't done it, to make sure, and we have all this with an IFA. It's very simple, you know, and, and, and I could share this with you after the fact, but we're encouraging our members through our franchise action network, our grassroots lobbying. It's all on the IFA website to, you know, basically you just plug in your, your zip code where you live and then it generates a letter directly to your member of Congress, both on the House and Senate side. We have to let them know that the business format franchise model is not broken and franchisors, and it takes effect. December 26th. But, you know, listen, we we filed suit. The SEIU has filed suit. I believe, and I'm not an attorney, but it's my understanding that this will probably end up with the Supreme Court at some point. But it's just, in my eyes, this is such a colossal waste of time because franchising, as we all know, I mean, yeah, yes, not every concept is stellar. There's issues within, sure. within franchising. Not every franchisee is successful. Not every franchisor is successful. But at the end of the day, the majority, I like to think the majority of IFA members, they're expected to abide by and adhere to the IFA code of ethics. And I like to think that our members are continually being educated through IFA on how to be the best franchisor, how to be the best franchisee, how to be the best supplier on best practices and how to continually drive and steer your your ship in the right direction. But there's always going to be issues, whether it's franchise or in any other industry where things aren't always perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But I like to think that at the end of the day, the majority of the folks involved in franchising are stellar and are always trying to do the right thing. We are always having to educate everybody on the business model and that it's a huge cog in the economic wheel within the U.S. economy. Not only does it provide jobs, but it provides opportunities for people who never would have dreamed of owning their own business and realizing the American dream through franchising. Unfortunately, because it's been under more of a direct threat in in the past 10 years, we are having to, you know, and we are a small trade association. With our board, we've had to review and our board reviewed, debated, discussed, and approved a restructuring of our dues model. So our more, you know, our legacy brands or what I refer to as the big boys and girls are bearing more of a brunt of the cost of protecting the business model. Whereas our startup and emerging brands, and as folks work their way up through the maturity ladder, aren't having to bear the brunt of it as much. Those are the folks that are entering into franchising really for 
the enhancement and the and the promotion that we provide you know they want to learn how to be the best franchisor they want to learn everything they need to know to be a successful franchisor and they also want to you know understand how do we get leads how do we find the best leads how do we become royalty sufficient and you know these are things that through IFA and through our certified franchise executive program through receiving our magazine franchising world or our newsletters that you know our members are continually educating themselves on everything that they need to know to be continue to be successful as a franchisor or even as a franchisee or again as a supplier what it means to to do business in the franchise space i mean even within our supplier membership, and, and again, I'm the liaison to the supplier board and the supplier board's executive committee, but our members, our franchisor and franchising members like to do business with people who support the association, but they also like to do business with people who understand franchising right. and understand the model and the relationship because it helps that vendor, that supplier, you know, work with the franchisor and their franchisee regardless of what that supplier's widget is, whether they're wanting to do business just with the franchisor or just with the franchisee, if they understand franchising, it just makes things a lot easier. And then in many cases, they help to continually educate and provide that franchise system and their franchisees with thought leadership at the end of the day, because that's what it's all about within franchising. And again, whether you're a franchise or a franchise or supplier within our membership, our members are always giving back to people coming up the ladder behind them, like I said earlier. And it's all about thought leadership and people are, people love to just continually educate as you do now, Frank. I oh mean, yeah. You know, you're one of those folks now who are giving back because franchising has been very good to you and, and continues to be good to you. And you're now helping educate all those folks. And, and I tell people all the time who are entering into franchising, I'm like, you'll be the chair of IFA someday. How could I be? Because we can only grow and thrive if we have stellar volunteer leaders. And I'm always trying to cultivate volunteer leaders within, within our membership, because that's how we continue to grow and thrive. We have to have those volunteer leaders. And if we don't, then the, the trade association, as we know, it's, it's dead, right? You know, it, it won't continue to grow. You know, when I came here and was working in government relations, within about a week's time, I realized I'm going to be extremely bored. You know, <laughs> all we all we focused on was franchise relationship legislation. There was nothing at the federal side. Iowa had happened. We were in the process of trying to get it amended, which we did. But but then, you know, we did have a federal bill. But then as I moved over to membership, things started just happening more and more and more. And we are really focused more heavily on on government relations now because we have to be and our members need us to be and that is the primary focus is to continually protect the model but we are also continually educating members as IFA has matured and and evolved over the years you know we are not in directly in the fran dev business you know we are not a broker network we have broker networks as members we have some individual brokers who are members but we do indirectly promote franchising day in day out we promote our members on our website we're constantly getting unique individual visitors each day and each month to our website we're still have a very long-standing relationship with the folks that produce the expos that we directly sponsor and it's mfe expositions and there's four shows coming up in 2024 and our members receive a discount to exhibit at these shows you know it's funny as long as i've been here people are like oh expos are dying now early on it was because you know 
the portals. You know, when Al Gore invented the World Wide Web, and everybody <laughs> was like, "Oh my God, websites! Right? You know, websites are going to destroy franchise expos." Well, listen, there's a lot of web portals out there. Franchise.org is a web portal, right. and even COVID kind of hit the pause button on expos, and and mm-hmm. we're still coming out of that a little bit. But expos are still a great way for people to find a lead, especially with emerging brands. It's kind of like they're coming out. It's like, yes, we are a sure. new franchise or on the block. And it's still an important place to grow. But a lot of folks are using brokers now. And, and that's a whole nother issue out there because the FTC was looking at regulating that. But now I, it's my understanding that they're taking a step back because they don't, even though they brought this issue to the table, they're taking a step back now because I guess, you know, looking at it from a consumer standpoint, they're not getting a lot of complaints from consumers, but that's still kind of an ongoing issue. And right. even within franchising, you know, our members, franchisors, they kind of have a love-hate relationship with the brokers or with these sure. franchise sales organizations, the FSOs, but yet it's helped so many of our members get up to over a hundred units, you know, so they will keep them, you know, on board as kind of like a, you know, even though they still have their in-house friend dev team, they will still utilize the broker networks or the referral networks as they're kind of referred to today. And, and people are still getting a lot of deals out of the, you know, the referral networks and the brokers that, that play with Mm -hmm. them. I, I generally tell people, I'm glad I'm not on the government relations team now. I'd be really busy. I'd love, you know, it'd be, it would be challenging and fun, but it's constantly ongoing now. And we have a stellar team here led by by Mike Lehman. And he's got a, a lot of folks that have been here for a long time. We've added some new folks, but we also have a very active political action committee. And, you know, at the end of the day, democracy is democracy, but I hate to say it, we are always contributing to both sides of the aisle. I mean, at the end of the day, we are a nonpartisan organization, but I always like to say that, you know, like with any business group, we Not that we lean to the right or we don't lean to the right, but we have to at least contribute to folks on both sides of the aisle because we want to make sure that when it comes time for a vote in Congress, that we have people on both sides. I only contribute a dollar a day to our PAC because we have such a powerful PAC. That's why we were able to get, you know, the PPP funds and and the CARES Act taken care of. And we were able to get franchising written, you know, into that legislation because we have a seat at the table, but I hate to say it, we have to buy that seat at the table at the end of the day. But right. that's how that's how our great democracy works here in the United <laughs> States, right? I joke I say that jokingly, but you know what I mean. No, I hear you, Paul. You know, the other kind of the misconception I felt years ago with the IFA was that people thought it was only for franchisors and it's not. You're the voice of franchising. And I think the IFA has done a really good job of really getting franchisees more involved in the organization. A hundred percent. Would you agree? And and listen, I mean, when IFA was founded, it was a franchisor only organization. But then as franchising matured and evolved in the early nineties, and I give the credit to the IFA board at the time, Mm -hmm. They realized this and they were like, we need to include franchisees in IFA. They have to have a seat at the table. Absolutely. They Listen, some of our members at the time were not happy about it. And we lost some members at the time, hmm. but it was the right thing to do. And it was the best thing to do. And even today, you know, we have technically Dave Humphreys, the chairman of IFA is a franchisee. We've had franchisees over the years as chairman of IFA or chairwomen, but we also have our, our board is made up of franchisors franchisees and suppliers. Now suppliers can't chair the IFA, franchisors and franchisees can, but we have stellar franchisees that that are involved 
in IFA. And that is who, when it comes to a grassroots lobbying, yes, that is who legislators want to hear from because franchisees are the ones that are creating jobs. They're the voting folks at back in the, the district and their employees are the ones who vote. Now, so, so is the franchisor, right? Don't get me wrong. I mean, you're as a franchisor, you're employing people, but in some respects, franchisees, especially multi-unit, multi-branded franchisees employ more people and create more jobs than most franchisors. That's right? true. That's um, true. And 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 they have a more powerful voice than anyone within the franchising family. In order to really be the voice of franchising, you have to you have to have both. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Because you can't be. You know, at the end of the day, for us to be the true voice of franchising, yes, we have to. We are the voice of everybody involved. And you know, it's always referred to as the the three legged stool, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and you can't have a well balanced stool if you don't have the franchise or franchisee and supplier. And at the end of the day, it, it all really the true essence of IFA's membership is is the true essence of the franchise relationship. You cannot have a strong, stellar franchise entity, franchise business. As a franchisor, if you don't have franchisees in the pipeline, stellar franchisees in the system, but then also really good vendors that are playing with you and helping to support you as the franchisor, but also helping to provide benefits and services to your franchisees. I mean, I always tell people the franchise model and the association model is very similar. You know, you've got IFA and all of its members, and you've got i9 or mcdonald's and all of their franchisees but they also have vendors and they're also doing conferences you know annual conferences just like we are right. you know you know in some respects you know, mature brands or at least brands that are royalty sufficient right they're able to have boots on the ground and people that are meeting with those franchisees you know a few times a year and it's very hard for you know me here in dc to get out and you know we don't have a field ops team necessarily, but we do because we have our volunteer leaders. And I always like to say, you know, these are the people on the membership committee or on the franchise relations committee, and and they're stellar volunteer leaders, even folks like you, Frank, right, that are always out there promoting IFA or, or meeting with our members, you know, even more so than than I am sometimes. So those are really kind of like you know those are those are our field ops. Yeah, you know, that's our field ops team, if you will. And it just it helps to continue to just promote franchising and it helps us be the voice of franchising. But again, I am always and my team, you know, we're, we always provide the concierge service to our members. We're the first point of entry for most, really for all of our members, you know, people who are entering into IFA or even entering into franchising. Mm-hmm. And then as they get to know other folks within IFA or they get to understand how IFA operates, then usually, you know, you year three, year two to year three, they want to start giving back. They want to serve on a committee. They want to speak at events and then they want to get into leadership roles. So I, I again, I am always, always cultivating new blood, right? You know, right. Uh, and I always tell people, you know, you're going to be so Sorry, you know, be careful about what you ask for, because if you want to get more involved, trust me, I'm always looking for for fresh blood. There's a, there's a place for you. Paul, I want to get your thoughts on just, you know, the savviness now of the multi-unit franchise owner that is that, that really has evolved so much of the past. Gosh, yes. Right. And I, I will tell you, if I knew then what I know now, I would probably enter into franchising as a, as a franchisee with my goals of being a multi-unit, multi-branded franchisee. My wife would kill me if I came home and said, guess what? I've invested in (laughs) 
XYZ franchise. By the right? way, that, and that um, happens, as we know. I have had that happen as, many as times. Like, Discovery exactly, Day, where the wife didn't know I just bought a franchise. I had no intentions exactly. of it. My husband wanted exactly. it, and I'm stuck with it. <laughs> exactly. And but I, I will tell you, I've just seen I, I've seen so many people do so well as franchisees, and they've just done extremely well. And then they've they've invested in that one concept because for whatever reason, you know, they've they realized how powerful right franchising is, whether it's hearing stuff from us or just hearing stuff within this whole cottage industry that's built up around franchising. But, you know, of course we're always promoting the franchise model. You know, we're contacted by local national media on a daily, weekly basis. We're always out there. You know, our CEO, Matt Haller, always out there promoting franchising. We have our program out there promoting the the business model continuously. And so people are always learning about franchising. Mm And that's how they enter into it. Because again, it's like people don't understand it. They don't know that. God, I didn't realize. I can't begin to tell you. Let me take a quick step back. Sure. How many times like we have new employees here at IFA and they're like, oh my God, they look at you and we still print the franchise opportunities, guys. You know, it's the yellow pages <laughs> of franchising. And they're like, I didn't realize all these folks franchise. We're early on in my career, even today, you know, right. Like, Whenever we're driving anywhere in the U.S., my I'm like, that's a member, that's a member. My my kids are always like, that. shut up. We understand everybody <laughs> franchises, you know. But it's but, but listen, it's again, it's a great way for folks to grow and expand using somebody else's capital, but then also being able to provide as a franchisee opportunities to grow and thrive. So within franchising, yeah, you're always going to have those folks that are just happy, you know, having that one location. Right. But then when they realize how well they're doing, they may want to, you know, one sign I always see, a sign of a strong, and this is just my perspective, a sign of a strong franchise system is how many franchisees within that system decided to invest an additional unit or two or three, right? Yes, That's a sign of a really stellar franchise system, I think. Mm -hmm. But then you've got those folks because they realize how well they're doing financially and they've decided that they want to start diversifying and they they start investing in other brands. And it always tends to be in the food segment or in the hotel segment. Or I always see, you know, there's always multi-unit franchisees in the hotel segment, but then they want to start diversifying and it always tends to be in the food segment. And similarly, you've got those multi-unit franchisees, multi-branded franchisees, because they've done well, who start diversifying. You know, I, I've heard this time and time again, they, they have one or two or three locations in their state. I'll just say Virginia, because that's where I live. And then let's say there's something that might be affecting the economy there. And they realize if I had locations in other parts of the country that are doing really well right now, where there's a lot of growth, I want to take advantage of that. So that's when they start to look at investing, whether it's with their brand or other brands in other parts of the country. So you know, they want to protect their interests, yeah. right? Things might might not be doing well in California, but they are focused heavily now on expanding outside of California. And it all has to do with, you know, again, we were able to go in and, and remove the joint employer from the FAST Act. Mm-hmm. It's a lesser of two evils. Yes, they were going to have to pay 20 bucks an hour and more in salary, but we were able to get the joint employer removed from it. Lesser of two evils. Now, easy, you know, obviously it's easy for, for me to say, but but franchisors who are based there, let's say, they are heavily focused on expanding outside of California. And, and that's just to obviously benefit as a franchisor, but also their franchisees in that state are going to have to bear the brunt and consumers are going to have to bear the brunt. 
You know, I mean, there, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And if it's going to cost more to hire people, then either either things are going to be automated and they're going to be automated quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, it could have a, a reverse effect because, yes, people might think they're going to get paid 20 bucks an hour to flip hamburgers. At the end of the day, you know, you know, and I know that I'm sure a lot of brands are looking at automating certain things so they, they don't have to employ people. Right. Well, and, and, you know, like, and consumer price is just going to go up automatically anyway. Well, exactly. Consumers and, and pay that's exactly the it. brunt of it. Um, but, but I will say, you know, I continue to see massive growth, especially on folks that have become successful franchisees. They know how, how successful they've become because of the franchising. Yeah, they always might have issues with franchise award. You know, it's a relationship issue. I mean, I heard this sure. years ago when I started IFA. The franchise relationship is like a marriage. In fact, it lasts longer than most marriages does, <laughs> than most marriages do. Listen, we always believe in mediation. We don't believe in litigation, but as much as I hate to say, it, there's uh-huh. always litigation within within franchise. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's a rite of, rite of passage. It just is, you know, but you could that can be said for any within any industry, but franchising is very unique because you've had this, it's a relationship, a true relationship model. It's based on a relationship model, but at the end of the day, right now, it might be more challenging because of inflation and, and because interest rates are high. So it's costing more to get that loan, Mm -hmm. whether it's an SBA or whatever, but yeah, but still, I know folks in the lending space who have been doing extremely well the past year. That said, there's gotta be franchisees out there who they're ultimately working with right who are doing well and it's not just those existing franchisees whether they're single or multi-unit or single soon to be multi-unit multi-unit soon to be multi-unit multi-branded there's still people that if they have a good relationship with their local bank they're going to be able to get funding or they're going to find their way to the folks within our supplier membership under the financial umbrella right and i have to be fair to all of our members so i don't want to <laughs> focus on one 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 person under the finance umbrella but there's quite right. a few out there that are a great resource for people if you if you're a first time franchisee and listen at the end of the day you know most banks from my vantage point if you've never operated a business before if you've never owned a business before they might be more willing to sign off on that loan because you're part of a franchise especially if it's a proven system maybe if it's a true startup you know, I don't know, from my vantage point, I, I would have to think there might be some issues there. But at the end of the day, you know, I think even though I'm hearing from my friends on the friend dev side that it's taken a little bit longer to close on deals, you know, they're still closing on deals. It's just mm-hmm. taking longer because mm-hmm. it's just the way things are right now. And I keep hearing from folks that the other shoe is going to drop. I'm just not seeing it yet. I am not seeing that. I mean, our members are are renewing because of our business our due structure on the franchisor side, it's based on your gross U.S. system-wide sales volume of your franchised units. So as you grow, you know, it's like the royalty stream, right? Sure. Same model. It was because we were created by franchisors, right? As that franchisor grows and their system grows, their dues to IFA will go up. It's not, it's not because of me, but it's because of everything. Again, I'm biased, but we are continually providing stellar value. And we must be because our members are renewing and they're paying a lot more than they were. And some are paying a lot more or some are more than happy to continue to pay more as, as they grow. So franchisors are continually growing. Our members are continually growing. And I like to think IFA has something to do with that, right? <laughs> sure. Paul, is there, um, I'm curious 
Is there a trend that you're seeing in a type of industry or type of business that you're seeing more membership, new members? That is, that is an awesome question. Well, thank you. And, you know, and if I could quickly say not to kind of a quick sidebar, but whenever I'm on a plane or talking to friends and, you know, and they're like franchising, oh, what's a hot franchise? And I'm like, if I knew that, I wouldn't be working for a nonprofit trade association. I'd be in, <laughs> investing in and becoming a franchisee of that hot concept. And I always tell people, you shouldn't be asking yourself, what's the hot concept? You should be asking yourself what you're passionate about. And I'm old school. Take a legal pad of paper, jot down all your passions. And I guarantee you, go to the IFA website, look at all of our members and, and the categories they place themselves under. And you will most likely find a franchise that meets your passion. Because again, you know, you know this, Frank, franchising oh, yeah. as a franchisee, it's still challenging and it's still very hard. You still have to put in a lot of hours yes. to be a successful franchisee, you know, especially if you're the owner operator, right? The mm -hmm. owner operator, you have to be doing something that you're passionate about because it's still, you're still putting a lot of sweat equity into making that a successful business as a franchisee. So with that said, right now, the trends that I'm seeing I'm still waiting for the federal government to decide to decriminalize marijuana. And once they decriminalize marijuana, I know that there are a number of folks out there. Well, we even have members currently, you know, that are in the, the CBD space or, mm -hmm. or, you know, or in the kind of the marijuana space. Right. But once it is decriminalized by the federal government, I know that that is going to be a huge, a huge trend. There's a lot of mom and pops out there, but there's a few folks that are franchising, but it's not quite, um, I'm kind of just watching that. I'm not calling it a trend yet mm -hmm. because, you know, the federal government, you know, it's still a controlled substance. Okay. Even though states have changed things, it's still federally a controlled substance. I will say that it's always still in the, in the service related, but also in the food space. I'm still seeing a lot of you know, what I just refer to as the poke bowls, or it shocks me how, you know, the gourmet burgers are, are still popping up or sandwich franchises are still popping up mm -hmm. or kind of specialty pizza, if you will. You know, from my vantage point, I'm not seeing anything right now that is kind of uh, what I refer to as a hot trend. And what I mean by hot is we've got like three or four members that have joined under a specific vertical that are kind of new to franchising. But right now it's like, it's, it's really interesting. I'm not, there's nothing that I'm seeing that I would say, wow, this is like a, a kind of a, a trend or even a mini trend really. So the tide is rising all boats right but now. But that will, but I, I'll tell you that. What I hear from CEOs and franchisees, and this is going to continue, it's labor. Labor is still a big issue. Getting labor. Um, it is impossible. Mm -hmm. Everybody's having that issue. Mm -hmm. Franchisees are having that issue. Some franchise locations have to close like on a, on a Wednesday, you know, because they don't have enough employees, right? That is still just a big issue. And, you know, with an IFA, we always try to focus on, you know, the macro, you know, anything that's affecting all of franchising, not just specific you know, verticals, but, but at the end of the day, the food segment is still the largest segment within franchising, even within our membership, even though that's diversified, 
greatly over the years in my tenure as well. It's it's supply chain and also comes to, again, food. It's just food safety issues. That's keeping folks up. Our members who are heavily reliant on people having disposable income, and this is at the local store marketing side, right? You know, making sure that folks are continuing to patronize franchisees locations. People are always concerned concerned about that. And because we're reliant on, you know, there's 300 different verticals that happen to utilize a business format franchise model, especially, and I say this especially to supplier prospects, or even when I'm reiterating how to maximize your value as a supplier, you know, we're a one-stop shop for, again, for 300 different industries that franchise. So if you're only focused on one industry within franchising, you got to spend some time to take your widget so you could apply that to the other 299 verticals. But then also it's 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 on the legislative front. I mean, 100%. Mm. It's this joint employer issue. We need everybody in franchising, whether you're a member or not, have folks reach out to me and I'll put them in touch with our government relations team. Or I'll direct them to the website where they could go to our, our grassroots, you know, franchise action network to fill out a form letter, uh, you know, to your member of Congress to say, leave franchising alone. It's not broken, you know, and, and also to, to the folks at the FTC. I mean, and of course, it's also the franchise rule. You know, they're they're working on that. And we would just, there's only so much they'll listen to the IFA staff, staff lobbyists, but they really need to hear from, you know, the folks that are really going to be affected by, by all this negative onerous, you know, legislation at the end of the day. Sure. Franchising is not broken and it continues to provide awesome opportunities for people. It's a huge economic cog in the economic U.S. economy and the economic wheel in the U.S. and of course globally. But if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. Yeah. And things need to be tweaked. So that is right now, you know, again, if I were a franchisor, I would be extremely concerned about about the NLRB's ruling uh, on joint employer. Mm -hmm. Because we all know as a franchisor, that's going to force you to have to be a little bit more directly involved with with your franchisees that you shouldn't have to be involved in. And your franchisee is not going to be too happy about that. No. And I'm, I'm, I'm obviously paint, I'm making it sound more like the sky is falling. I don't want to make it sound like it's the death of franchising, but I'm trying to simplify, but also paint it with a brush that, you know, this is a serious issue and we need the help of the franchising community and the voice of the franchisee and the franchisor and the supplier. Because at the end of the day, by, by doing this, it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier for the SEIU to go in and unionize employees at all franchise locations. If you look at Starbucks, they don't franchise, right? Mm -hmm. They do internationally, but but they don't franchise in the U.S. And it was fairly easy for the SEIU to go in there and unionize Starbucks. Now, they didn't unionize it at every single Starbucks, but they were able to do that. And that's what they are trying to ultimately do at the end of the day, because it'll help to increase their coffers, which have been dwindling. And um, that's what we're trying to to prevent. Sure. Paul, with that said, so we have an audience of emerging franchisors and potential franchisees that are listening to the podcast. Can you just uh, let us know where they can get more information on the website? Where should they go? A hundred percent. And uh, and thank you. Thank you for that, Frank. So IFA's website, franchise.org. And you can find everything you need there 
on our website, whether it's information about IFA and the benefits that are currently awarded to our members, whether you're a franchisor, franchisee, or even potential franchisee or, or a potential supplier. And then regarding everything that I've been discussing regarding what our government relations team is working on and the joint employer, you will find that on the website as well. And um, feel free to reach out to me directly. And I would be happy to continue to answer any questions anybody has about what was discussed you know, on, on this podcast today Sweet. and then direct you to, you know, to where you need to go to get the answers. And I would be, you know, more than happy to, to do that. I, I do that on a, on a daily, daily, weekly basis. <laughs> Thank you, um, Paul. I love to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I always finish with the tip jar I call because the franchise community is so generous, which we talked about right from the opening bell. So yes. Paul, I want to know, uh, give me a piece of advice. If I'm a entrepreneur looking to franchise my concept, What's the one piece of advice you would give me? Well, it's funny you should say that. Whenever anybody wants to franchise their concept and I get calls like this or I meet with people like this at expos, especially, uh -huh. I try to talk them out of franchise <laughs> and I say, listen, you got to realize you've got a pizza restaurant. Do you have at least three locations, two to three? I do. Are they, are the univolume economics strong? They are. Well, then chances are you could start franchising, but you got to realize something. It's not cheap. And I, I always tell people franchising is, is very unique. You've got to either work with a packaging firm like you did, Frank. Right. And there's, and I always tell people they're a member of IFA supplier forum. That's who I will only promote. But if you think, you know, all you need is an attorney to draft your franchise disclosure document, you have the option of doing that. But at the end of the day, you can't just use your cousin who might be a business attorney or or a real estate attorney, because I jokingly tell people, if you have a brain tumor, you're not going to go to a podiatrist. And same thing with franchising. You have to use a franchise attorney. You have to use somebody who understands franchising. It's very specific. And of course, there's the 14 you know, registration states, and that's a whole nother mess. But again, I always tell people, you're no longer in the childcare business or the pizza business or the pet care business, you're going to be in the franchise business. And that is a totally different business. So that's why you join IFA. So you could learn from everybody who's been there before and you will learn that. But then once you start franchising and you hang that shingle outside that, you know, how do I sell that franchise? And that is a challenge for everybody. And you will have a lot of people out there supporting you along the way, but it is not easy. And yes, people will use the FSOs or they will use the brokers. But again, you've got to educate yourself on what that means and how that will benefit you or how it could be a challenge for you. As an emerging brand, you've got to become royalty, royalty sufficient. And what does that mean? It means you have enough money coming in from those royalty stream from your franchisees that you brought on board to start really funding your franchise operations, paying for you know, maybe an in-house friend dev person or hiring somebody to focus on operations for you. And then you're truly a franchisor at that, at that point, because I hear this time and time again, if you're a startup brand and you're using, you know, an FSO, let's say, and I'm not saying this happens all the time, but if they sell a hundred units for you, how many of those units are open, right? If they all open immediately, a lot of that money might be going to pay off the FSO or pay off the brokers. And then you don't have the funds to then properly uh, support those franchisees, you know, within your system from the ops standpoint. And again, this is me speaking. I'm not saying that this happens mm -hmm. holistically across the board, 
uh, within franchising, but it's just something I hear about all the time. Continue to do your due diligence. You know, listen to podcasts like this. Talk to people like Frank. Talk to people like me. I will put people in touch with other franchisors. Continue to educate yourself so you're making the right decisions and that you will put together the right franchise program so you have a stellar program and it continues to be stellar because of your involvement and building those relationships and continuing to build and foster those relationships. So then when you do work your way up the maturity ladder, you will start giving back to the people coming up behind you as a franchise or also as a, as a franchisee or also as a supplier. Sure. I mean, I, I bring on a, a number of suppliers who are brand new to this space. They might have one franchise or, or franchisee client, and that's how they end up coming to me, but they have to understand and learn about franchising as well. Um, and they will do that you know, through all of us in the franchise family, right? Paul, that is, that is great advice. That is fantastic. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I am a proud second time member now of the IFA. I know. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is a proud member of the IFA. And um, I just want to thank you and your staff and everybody for the support you've given me over the years. And um, I look forward to seeing you at the IFA, uh, which is coming up in uh, Yes, February. our annual, our annual convention is, uh, is in Phoenix, Arizona, February 17th through the, the 20th. And if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to me. If you've never been a member of IFA before, please reach out to me. I might be able to offer you a scholarship to cover the cost of, of your registration. And that's for first time members who have never been to the convention. And that's really as a thank you to you, Frank, for giving me this opportunity. Okay. Oh, thank you. So um, now, of course, you're you're a two-time member member now, and, and you're a founder uh, who's done very well. So I, I that offer I can't extend to you, my friend. Though I'd I'd like to, but I can't. But I apologize. Too many people okay. looking over my shoulders. But you know, there's an emerging franchise or boot camp. You are going to meet a lot of people who will educate you. I'm I'm biased. It's the premier franchising event it of is. the year. It you is know, the granddaddy 4, of them all. Plus attendees. Mm -hmm. It is the granddaddy of them all. Absolutely. So uh, so again, thank you for helping me promote that. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, and Paul, thank you for this opportunity to help just talk about what little I know and, and about oh, franchising, but, but what I've learned over the years, seriously, you know, I'm humble, but, but also just, uh, you know, to help promote what we do here. Cause a lot of people don't understand. They think we're a broker network. You know, we're not IFPG. We're not Franser. We're, we're not that we, they belong to us. We are a nonprofit trade association. We protect, enhance and promote franchising day in, day out but we can't do it without the stellar support of our members and, and especially, you know, the stellar support through the membership dollars that people spend with us by joining IFA, you know, it's got to be a part of the country club to take advantage of the benefits that we offer, but also we can't protect franchising without the support of our members at the yes. end of the day. So, yes, sir. Paul, and I can't thank you enough for, for joining IFA again, my friend, but and, and you, you know, you're like the poster child of, of somebody who entered into franchising was extremely successful. And now you're continuing to give back and, and you're the, like the poster child of, of, of people I point to all the time. You want to see somebody who's successful, you know, look at Frank and look at what he's done. Oh, well, Paul, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It took a village, but we did it. Hey, well, right? It does. And, and thank, thank you, you, my friend, as, as always. And I look forward thank to, if anything, I, look forward to seeing you in phoenix in, in february i'll see you then all right paul all right, thank you so much for being on the show thank you so much all right. bye, bye thank you thank for you. tuning into the emerging franchise brands podcast 
For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumi, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.